Once again, everyone, if you'd like to open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. If you're new or you're visiting with us this morning, again, a special and warm welcome to you. It's great to have you with us. Um, we're going through a series in the book of Ephesians at the moment. And uh, I think that's a really good way of preaching, actually, because you know that you're actually getting God's agenda rather than the preacher's. And this morning we're going to read from verse 15 to the end of the chapter, verse 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, would you please join with me in prayer? Lord, we often sing, oh, we need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Lord, these are great truths that we sing. And are reminded of and we pray that as we come to your word this morning, that is the cry of our heart, that we need you. Lord, we pray to you because we need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Lord, we need you to open our ears so that we can hear your voice. And Lord, we need you to so work in our hearts, giving us the power to trust and to obey. So, Father, we pray that you would do that supernatural work of your spirit, that you would meet us through your word this morning, that you would give us the word that we all need, perhaps a word of rebuke or, or perhaps even of encouragement. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 1992, Don Carson wrote a book called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. 
It was a study of Paul's prayers throughout the New Testament, and it's become something of a Christian classic. Carson is one of the evangelical world's greatest theologians, I think, and his book on prayer is one of the most robust analysis of the subject you're likely to read. It really is an excellent book, and if you haven't already done so, then I would really encourage you to read it. It really is terrific. But what is especially helpful about Carson's book is that it highlights the things that Paul often prays about are not necessarily the things that we often focus on. In short, his priorities are not always our priorities. And so, a call to spiritual reformation is a great corrective to what you might call are the man-centred superficialities, which we all tend to drift towards in our prayers. We've all fallen into it, haven't we? You start to pray and it's almost like you have just a shopping list in your head about all the things that you need. Not that that's necessarily bad, but we actually want to think better and higher of God than that. And so we come this morning to one of the Pauline prayers which Carson covers in his book. And it comes back on the back of a record-breaking sentence in the New Testament. Actually, in the whole Bible. It's a sentence from verse 3 to verse 14 which carries 203 words. And we've been looking at them over the last couple of weeks. Verse 3 to verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1 is, if you've been with us, I think you would acknowledge is quite incredible, isn't it? Uh, Let me just give you a very, very, very quick recap. If you still have your Bibles open, you can follow along with this with me. Uh, Paul speaks about receiving every spiritual blessing through faith in Jesus, verse 3. Of having been chosen in him before God created the world, verse 4 of having been adopted into his family, verses 5 and 6, of having been redeemed by his grace in verses 7 and 8, of being informed of his marvellous plan of salvation, verses 9 and 10, of being predestined by his sovereign choice in verses 11 and 12, and then finally, of having been sealed by his spirit, in verses 13 and 14. Now, like pearls on a necklace, each and every one of these truths is precious and of inestimable worth. But when you put them all together, they are spiritually priceless. And as such, I hope that you've taken the opportunity to meditate and even memorize what Paul writes because I don't think any of us can fully grasp the truths of what is contained in those opening um, verses at least not on our own you see what we really need is a revelation of God's spirit Paul says in verse uh, 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this is verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 2 The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. 
for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, you cannot truly grasp what the scripture is saying unless the spirit of God moves within you. Otherwise, the words on the page remain what you might call a dead letter. This is why the psalmist writes in Psalm 119 verse 18, and you might hear me pray this often at church, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Have you ever had the experience of reading a passage of Scripture a number of times, and then one day the Spirit takes its message and applies it directly to your heart? Right at the very moment that you needed it. It's a precious and even beautiful thing. It's a profound spiritual experience which is to be cherished because it makes you realize that God is alive and he wants to have a relationship with us. That he's interacting with us and that he himself, by his spirit, is speaking into our lives. And this is why the Apostle Paul immediately goes on to do what in verses 15 to 23? To pray. Because he knows that as incredible as what he has just been writing and talking about in verses 1 to 14, they are truths which can really only be spiritually discerned. That you and I need the Holy Spirit of God himself if we're to have any real knowledge as to what these amazing theological truths mean. Now, there are three things in particular which Paul prays for the Ephesians. There's obviously a lot more uh, which the passage addresses than just this, but I want to focus this morning on what Paul prays. Because if we take these three priorities to heart, then I think they'll totally transform your own walk with the Lord. The first point then is that Paul prays that they would know God the Father better. Take a look again at what he says in verse 17. Paul writes, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. See how he's saying this is what we really need so that you may know him better. The passage that we had read to us a little earlier from Psalm 63 is an incredible example in this regard. We read in the superscription that it was written by David when he was in the desert of Judah. By the way, those superscriptions or those little subheadings, that's also part of the Bible. It's not something later editors put in. That's in the original text of the Bible. And it's for a very good reason because it gives you its often its context. David in Psalm 63 is in the desert of Judah. David often had to flee from his enemies and in particular of Saul who constantly tried to kill him. But because David refers to himself as being the king in this psalm, it's probably referring to the time not when he was being chased by Saul, but when he was fleeing from his own son, Absalom. If you want to read more about the situation um, and its historical context, then you can look at 2 Samuel 15 and 16. 
We won't go into it today. But it makes you realize something very important. That as believers, we're not spared from the trials and the difficulties of this life, are we? Indeed, I think they often tend to multiply the closer you get to God. And it's sobering to think that this particular psalm, this precious part of God's word, which Simon read to us a little earlier, would never have been written unless David had gone through those particular hard times. What do we learn, though, friends, from what David writes? Well, we learn that even though he was in the desert, his thirst was not so much for water as it was for the Lord. Turn over to it again and read with me what it says. Because if you're going through a tough time right now, then this might very well be the word that you need to hear this morning. The truth which the Spirit of God wants to impress upon your soul the most. David writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are you at a point of desperate need like David was? Maybe you're even feeling this morning like you're at your wit's end. Where there's a difficult situation, perhaps even members of your own family are against you. Can I just say, the Lord hasn't left you or forsaken you but he's leading you to this point to show you that what you really need is to find your joy and your satisfaction in him. He's weaning you off your love and dependence on the things of this world. And he's bringing you to a place, I think, to show you that only he can really satisfy you not the things of this world, as good as they are. The point where you can say this with King David, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Because your love is better than life. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. That's what we do, isn't it, when we sing? I know as Presbyterians, it always feels like we're a bit of the frozen chosen, isn't it? Don't show any emotion. Dare not lift up your hands in worship. Can I just say from the front, it's okay. In fact, it's good. Because what do we do when we sing to the Lord? We're actually saying, God, I'm, I'm giving you the praise. I'm giving you the glory. I don't just sing for me. And as good as it is, I don't just sing for my brothers and sisters around me. I'm giving you the praise. So can I encourage you? Lift up your hands. Can you say with, uh, with David, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. 
You see, we lift up our hands, we give praise to whatever it is that gives us satisfaction. We probably all saw it this week, had the highest ratings in 20 years. But when the Matildas play, all of a sudden, all of Australia becomes Pentecostals. (laughs) They're lifting their hands, they're shouting with joy, because it shows it's what brings out worship. Can you confess what David confesses with his lips to the Lord this morning? The one whose love is better than life, who will never disappoint, who will always satisfy. C.S. Lewis famously wrote once, it would seem that um, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. C.S. Lewis concludes, we are far too easily pleased. All of which is to say the first thing Paul prays for the Ephesians is that they would know God the Father more and more. And you know what, friends? There should be a holy discontentment in us that we would want to know him more. That we, that we would find our joy, our satisfaction, our meaning, our contentment in him. And I, I hope that we're hungry for that, that we thirst for that. For he is the one for whom we have been created to know and to worship, to give all of our praise. Following on from that, Paul prays in verse 18 that they would more fully appreciate what Christ has done. Paul writes, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. See again, the spiritual illumination or or revelation that we need can only come by God's Spirit through prayer. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. One of the ironies of the Christian life is that the more mature that you become spiritually, the more you understand how unworthy you are of Christ's forgiveness. It's that the gospel becomes more and more precious and its truth all the more real. At the center of it all, though, friends, is hope. I came across this great quote this week by Brian Chappell, uh, which I included in your growth group questions for discussion. Brian Chappell is widely considered to be one of the best preachers in the world today. And as such, he's written books on the topic and lectures and trains men all over the world. Uh, This is what he has to say on this particular verse. He says, I have tried to alert my students in recent years to what seems to be the common denominator in great preaching throughout the ages. It's not a style of delivery or organisation or even exposition. These vary greatly by era to era. And if you've ever read any of the old sermons from the past, you'll know exactly what he means. Preaching today is very different to what it was even 50 years ago. But Chapel says, what seems to be the thread uniting all great Christian preaching 
is hope. Great preaching always offers hope. We are in God's family and that means that we are in the family business. And that business, Chapel says, is hope. There is hope for our fallen condition, our sin-sick world and our sin-bound lives because of the power of Christ that is in us. We are dispensers of hope, are we not? Offering the hope that God's riches and power can make tomorrow brighter than today. Even if we're in the desert. Brian Chappell makes the point that it used to be thought that blue whales were mute. I didn't quite really believe what he said, so I checked this out with David G. And he confirms that it's true, so it must be true, right? Scientists have now discovered that blue whales have voices of immense power. Who would have ever thought? Chapel says their voices resonate at a frequency below the level that the human ear can often hear. But with modern instruments, scientists have found that their call is so powerful that it can carry over hundreds, even thousands of miles away. It's so powerful, in fact. And I checked this out, but this is, this is legit. A blue whale can call from a, ha- a harbour in Hobart and be heard by another whale in Auckland. Chapel says this amazing power has been present throughout all the ages but was undetected until recently because we just didn't have the scientific know-how or the senses to be able to register it. Now... Prayer, though, the human heart begins to sense the blessings that God has available for his people. It was always there, but the Holy Spirit opens your ears and your eyes to hear and see it. Already this morning, can you hear God's Spirit speaking to you ever so quietly below the radar that you can hear it? Do you see something of the glories of what he's done? Have you experienced the goodness of his love and the healing of his acceptance? That's the spirit moving. That on the cross, he's taken the punishment for your sin upon himself. Isn't that incredible? And that he was absorbing into himself when he died on the cross the wrath of God which you deserved and in exchange gave you the clean robes of forgiveness? Do you see the victory of the resurrection and how Jesus has defeated death itself? Can you perceive all this, even if just slightly? Or are you deaf? And blind to what he's done. When I was living in the United States, one of my friends took me to Notre Dame University. It's one of the most prestigious Catholic universities in America. And because I'd grown up myself as a devout Roman Catholic, I think he thought that I'd be really impressed. So they thought, oh, let's take Mark to Notre Dame. And to be honest, the Gothic architecture of the place is incredible. Uh, It was something which 
uh, my friend's dad said to me, though, that day that has actually remained with me ever since. He was a Lutheran pastor. And as we were standing inside the main chapel, which is huge, like basically a cathedral on campus, he said to me, Mark, do you see or do you notice how impressive or unimpressive rather the massive stained glass windows are from outside where we were just before? But how beautiful they are now that we're inside the building and we're looking from the inside out. And I said, yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? He goes, he said, Mark, that's exactly what the Christian life is like. From the outside, it looks cold and uninspiring. You think, what's all the fuss about? But from the inside, when you're born again and you're looking from the inside out, all of a sudden those same truths are filled with beauty and awe and wonder. And then he said with a twinkling in the eye, and you know what, Mark, they're never at their most, or they're only at their most beautiful when the sun, S-O-N, is shining through it. I've never forgotten what he said, and I often reflect on the truth which they convey. Because we need the Holy Spirit to be able to discern all the truths that Paul's talking about. Otherwise, we miss the majestic whale song or the beautiful picture that's there all the way along. It just depends on your perspective. It depends on the reality that's actually working within you. All of which leads to the third and final point of Paul's prayer, and that is what we need to experience more and more is the Holy Spirit's power. That same power that he says in verse 20, God exerted in Jesus when he rose him from the dead and then ascended him into heaven and then gave him all power, the name above every name, to fill everything in every way. How incredible is it to contemplate that that same spiritual power which rose Jesus from the dead is now living inside us who believe. The Holy Spirit energizes us to trust in Christ and to do what his word says. He guides us and he leads us to bear witness to him. Now we tend to, I think, get embarrassed by the work of the Holy Spirit as evangelical Christians, but we shouldn't. Whenever something significant happens in our life, you know, we sort of make an excuse, don't we? Or we're very quick to make a qualification. God does something significantly in our lives. The Spirit impresses upon us some deep truth. And all of a sudden, we've got to say, when we're telling a friend of how encouraged we were, I'm not a charismatic, but... But the Spirit of God is moving in our hearts and minds to produce in us the fruit of Christian character, to be gentle and self-controlled and patient and loving. Yes, we often fall short, but Paul is praying that the Ephesians would know the Spirit's powerful effect more and more in our lives. Can I just say too, the Holy Spirit's power is not necessarily demonstrated in ways you might think I think it's far more powerful for an Australian man to serve by washing dishes than it is to fall on the ground laughing uncontrollably. God's Spirit working powerfully transforms us into the character of Jesus. The Apostle Paul states the same truth like this in Colossians 1. 
Starting at verse 9, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that what? So that you might have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Do you know one of the ways that the Spirit powerfully works in us is to persevere? One of the ways that the Holy Spirit powerfully works in us is to have joy. One of the ways that the Holy Spirit is most manifest is thankfulness. If you see a thankful Christian, you're actually seeing a Spirit-filled Christian because that's not natural. It's not natural to be thankful. It's not natural to be joyful. It's supernatural. There's an old saying, you know, that you get what you pay for, meaning that the quality of the product is often, let's face it, equal to the amount of money that you're willing to pay for it. But I think the same thing can hold true in a different way in the Christian life, and that is you often get what you pray for. That is, the quality of our fellowship with God often corresponds to the amount of time that we spend with him in prayer. Hear me carefully. The quality of our fellowship with God. It's not making it a condition upon salvation or anything like that. But the irony is, is that prayer is difficult, isn't it? Not praying itself, not that praying itself is hard, but slowing down and depending on God, it really goes against the grain. It's difficult to stop and truly depend on God. Maybe that's why it's often when we're sick or when we're debilitated or we're in the desert and the situation is way over our head and completely outside our control. Maybe that's why that's the time when what do we do? We, we pray. Because it's only then that we really slow down and rely on God. It's like it's only then that he really has our full attention. Let me encourage you then to deliberately and intentionally carve out time to pray. Pray with others as often as you can, even if it's for a couple of seconds. I think one of the most beautiful things that we can do at church, and you witness it often, thankfully, here at Cornerstone, is you'll see people just stop and pray for one another. Do that, friends. Let's do that more and more. That when you hear about somebody going through a hard time, don't just let the conversation end. Or even say, I'll pray for you. As good as that is, pray for them. Pray for them then and there. Develop a habit of prayer where you stop, you slow down, and you focus your mind on the Lord. And can I just put this challenge out? If you're talking to somebody on the phone, stop and pray with them. Carve out time in your day where maybe you go for a walk or maybe it's just that you go to the spare room and you just pour out your heart to the Lord. The Lord wants to listen. Indeed, you'll see that he's actually drawing you first to come and talk to him. He wants you to know him and he wants you to appreciate 
what he's done. And he longs for you to experience more and more of his Holy Spirit's power. He's speaking to us all the time. But actually, I think like the whale song, his call can be drowned out in the world's white noise. You know, it's like all that static electricity that's going on, buzzing around us. So take the time to slow down and talk with him, friends. Put on Christian music. There's a, there's a wealth of free online sermons today. Read good Christian literature. Turn off Facebook. <laughs> That's the secret to spiritual reformation. It begins from within. May the Lord bless you. May he pour out the riches of his grace upon us so that the truths that we've discussed will become a reality in our lives. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we need you. Every hour, we need you. Our righteousness, our one defense. Oh, Lord, how we need you. Lord, forgive us for just our laziness so often, Lord. Maybe it's our, our doubt, our lack of faith to come to you, knowing that you hear us. And that incredibly, as we read later in the book of Ephesians, you do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine or even ask. How incredible that is, Lord. And we want to pray for each other this week that we'll spend more time in prayer, that we'll slow down, that we'll take the time to pray with each other. Lord, in each other's presence and alone. And that, Lord, the truths that we've heard this morning will become a rich and precious reality in our lives. Lord, for many of us this morning, it feels like a desert. It feels hot and dry and alone. Where even close friends and possibly even family are against us. And Lord, that is a great sadness, a great grief. But Lord, we pray that we'll be able to confess with King David that your love is better than life. May we be able to taste the sweetness of your love and feel the warmth of your presence. Lord, pour out your spirit upon us that we all know the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and lives. Lord, open our eyes that we see wonderful things in your law, not just because of being puffed up by your intellectual head knowledge, but because we know you better. And we appreciate more of what Christ has done. Thank you for hearing us, Lord. We look forward with great expectation as to how you will answer. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's sing.